This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. A uh, chilly day here in the Northeast. Welcome to winter. By God, I already, we just started with uh, standard time, got rid of daylight savings time, and I already hate it. Dark at 4.30, just brutal. But, uh, you know... (laughs) Is what it is. Uh, Stripped down version of the show. You probably can't tell from watching it if you're on Facebook. Um, the desk is gone. Pretty much all the furniture is gone. I'm in an office with my my equipment on uh, a card table and some TV trays. As uh, we get ready to make our move uh, down south to North Carolina coming up here in a couple of weeks. Uh, let's get to uh, lots of sports to talk about. The Patriots uh, are as hot as they come. Their third straight victory this week, and I think what was most impressive about the victory for the Patriots this week was the manner in which they did it. It wasn't a great offensive performance. They win the game 24-6, to but it had nothing to do with the offense. Let's be honest. Now, they ran the ball well. Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson both looked good. Brent, uh, Brandon Bolden, uh, a couple of huge runs, but it wasn't about that. Mac Jones wasn't very good, in my opinion. I mean, uh, had a really bad interception. Uh, the running game bailed them out. But this was all about the defense. Look, they held Carolina to just 65 yards in the first half, 240 for the game. I mean, the only time the Panthers scored is because, uh, you know, they got uh, they got the ball deep in Patriot territory. Uh, Patriots intercepted Sam Darnold three straight possessions in the second half. Christian McCaffrey had a hundred and something yards, but who cares? I mean, seriously, this was all, you know, about the Patriot defense and look, you know, there's a lot of debate whether Carolina should have even started Sam Darnold. You know, he, he, uh, hadn't practiced a lot during the week and, you know, yada, yada, you know, you can make that argument if you want to, but at the end of the day, I don't think it really makes a difference. I think the way that the Patriot defense played in this game. It didn't matter who the quarterback was. Um, And now you look at the Patriots and you say, is this team a playoff team? You know, and I was teasing Dan Zampano when he was on a couple of weeks ago about, look, you know, you had them going to the playoffs and the way things are looking right now, they're a seven-win team. Well, they've already got five now after that victory yesterday. So now you look at it and you go, okay, where does that put them? Look, they've beaten three teams. Their last three opponents. Um, now, look, one of them is the Jets. Okay, so you can't get too too uh, worked up about that. But the Chargers, the Chargers right now are in first place in the AFC West. They are the, you know, they and the Raiders are at top of that division. The Panthers didn't look very good yesterday, but the Panthers right now are in the mix for a playoff spot. 
So now you look at what the Patriots have coming up. They have a a Cleveland team that seems to have righted the ship coming up next week on Sunday. It's at home, but that's a very good Cleveland team. Now, I had the Atlanta game the following week at Atlanta. I had that in the books. That's a Thursday night game in Atlanta. I figured the Patriots were going to win that one easily. However, you look at what Atlanta did yesterday, and they beat the New Orleans Saints. Now, you can say, okay, but the Saints didn't have Jameis Winston. You know, they're going with their backup quarterback, and so, you know, maybe that had something to do it. Look, they still put up 27 points against a very good Saints defense this week. So now that Atlanta game, not as easy as they thought it was going to be. Then they come back home for Tennessee. Then they have to go to Buffalo. Then they have to go to Indianapolis. Then they have to go to Buffalo. So the next six games, you know, and then they finish up the season with Jacksonville and Miami, two games that got to be W's. But you look at these next six games and you go, well, where the hell are the wins? Now, you can make a case, look, you know, Buffalo lost to Jacksonville yesterday. So, you know, games that I thought the Patriots were in big trouble, maybe they're not. You know, maybe this Buffalo team, Yeah, you know, I don't know. Uh, it, it, I can't figure it out. But you have to at least now entertain the thought that the Patriots might indeed be a playoff team. Maybe he's right. Maybe Dan Zampano was right. And and the reason being is that right now we got a whole jumble of, of mediocrity in the AFC. The best team right now in the AFC is Tennessee. Tennessee with a great win last night over the, uh, the Los Angeles Rams. You know, really good win. They are in control of the AFC South. So, you know, it's it's that's going to be a tough one. I mean, the Patriots have them at home. They still don't have Derrick Henry, so you can say, well, maybe they'll be able to pull that one off. Well, maybe. But that's a very good Tennessee team. Baltimore, you know, look, Baltimore had to work like hell to beat Minnesota yesterday, but they're 6-2. and two. But outside of that, where are the power teams? You know, we thought Buffalo might be the best team in the division or in the league. Remember just a couple of weeks ago when Cincinnati had that huge win and everybody had Cincinnati, you know, oh, maybe Cincinnati's the best team in the AFC. Cincinnati has since lost two in a row, and they've done it badly. You know, and then you look at the the uh, AFC West, and it's two teams at five and three, two teams at five and four. So there's mediocrity everywhere. So I'm not saying that the Patriots are a great team. But maybe they are the best of the mediocre teams, and they're still going to manage to get into the playoffs. And look, you know, with a rookie quarterback like Mac Jones, if they wind up in the playoffs, you you can make a case if the Patriots get in the playoffs uh, that it is uh, one of Bill Belichick's best coaching jobs. Got a long way to go, but look, Mac Jones – he was 12 of 18 yesterday, so his completion percentage was fine. He had a touchdown, but he had a really bad interception, got sacked a couple of times, made some bad decisions. If it weren't for the way they ran the ball yesterday, there's no way they win that game. That and the defense. The defense was ridiculous. You know, they only sacked Sam Darnold once, but they knocked down, I think, three or four balls at the line of scrimmage. Darnold completed less than 50% of his passes. They said those three straight interceptions. Uh... Just a dominating effort. They held Carolina just 3-for-11 on third down. You know, it wasn't that the Patriots were that great or that efficient. That defense was that good, period. 
So maybe they are the best of the mediocre teams. Maybe they find a way to get in the playoffs. The game that was the absolute shocker to me yesterday. I mean, there is no other way to put it. The Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Buffalo Bills. The Jaguars get their second win of the season, and it was one of those games where, you know, <laughs> if you're a Bills fan, you wanted to throw up. If you're a Jacksonville fan, look, it's a great win, but it wasn't like you played especially. Look, Lawrence was, uh, you know, 15 for 26, got sacked a couple times, had to leave the game at one point, got his ankle stepped on. They were concerned that perhaps that uh, he had done some damage to it. They were fortunate that he hadn't, came back a little while later. But at the end of the day, Jacksonville wasn't good. Buffalo just was hideous. Look, Josh Allen threw for 264 yards, but a couple of, couple of interceptions. He got sacked four times. They couldn't run the ball at all. And it was just, it was a dumb off. And this was a game where, you know, you had Buffalo winning this one by three touchdowns easy. So this wasn't about Jacksonville being great. This was about Buffalo just not being able to get out of their own way. You know, give Jacksonville's, give the Jacksonville front seven credit. Uh, Josh Allen, the defensive Josh Allen, was the best Josh Allen on the, fa- on the field yesterday. Uh, the linebacker for the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, had an interception, had a fumble recovery. He sacked his namesake. By the way, it was the first time in the history of the NFL since they've been keeping track of sacks that somebody sacked the guy with the same name, if you care about stuff like that. Uh, but the Josh Allen from Jacksonville was the difference in this game yesterday. You know, and Buffalo, you know, I talked about the fact that, you know, Josh Allen wasn't very good. You know, part of the problem was is they kept putting themselves in bad situations, A, with the turnovers, but B, with the penalties. 12 penalties for 118 yards. So this wasn't that Jacksonville was any good. Let's let's be clear about that. I mean, look, the defense played well. Josh Allen played well. But at the end of the day, this was just about the Buffalo Bills stinking. You know, and it was funny. You know, before the season, Dan Zampano, who's on our show, I don't mean to, you know, it's not like he's the smartest guy in the world, but he said, look, he he could see Buffalo taking a step back from where they were last year, that perhaps they overachieved. Not that they're a bad team, but perhaps they're not quite as dominant as everybody thought they were last year, that perhaps they just overachieved. Well, he might be right. You know, and now you look at the Buffalo Bills and they have a half a game lead over the Patriots in the AFC East. And to be sure, Buffalo has an easier schedule down the stretch than the Patriots do. The, the Buffalo gets to play at the Jets on Sunday. Well, you know that's a W. Then they play a, a reeling Indianapolis team that's a W. Then they go to New Orleans without their best quarterback. You know, you got to think that's a win. Then they they have a couple of games with New England in December. They have to play at Tampa. 
But outside of that, their schedule isn't very hard. Seriously, if you look at, I mean, I guess you can count the two New England games, count the uh, the Tampa game, and maybe at the Saints. Outside of that, this is an easy stretch run for the Buffalo Bills. They have the Jets twice. They have Atlanta. They have Carolina. I mean, this is a team that is going to probably still win the AFC East. Their schedule tells you that that's what's going to happen. But, again, they had a stretch here of playing the three worst teams in the NFL in Miami, Jacksonville, and the Jets, and they somehow lost one of those games. And they're not going to lose to the Jets. I'd be shocked. You know, uh, you know, they handled Miami fairly easily, but, hey, stranger things have happened. And, it, and again, if you're the Patriots, based on the way that your defense played yesterday, you have to feel good about your chances of at least, at least splitting the games with the Buffalo Bills when the time comes. Now, the other game I, I want to spend a little time talking about, and I don't want to talk about the game. I mean, do I do, but at the same time, you know, we've got to talk about the bigger story here. And that, of course, is the Kansas City Chiefs-Green Bay Packers game. Now, this was a game, when you saw it on the schedule, you saw Patrick Mahomes, you saw Aaron Rodgers, you saw a Chiefs team that couldn't stop anybody, and you were thinking this was going to be like the uh, shootout at the OK Corral. It was going to be an offensive explosion. It turned out to be an absolute snooze fest, in my opinion. Why? Well, part of it was because of the Aaron Rodgers situation. We'll get to that in a second. But part of it is because Patrick Mahomes right now, ladies and gentlemen, the guy that is supposed to be the next Tom Brady, stinks. Threw for 166 yards yesterday, 20 of 37. And it was a simple case of Patrick Mahomes just can't throw the ball accurately right now. He's throwing it behind guys. He's throwing it over the heads of guys. He just is off target. He's not close. So Patrick Mahomes helped the Green Bay Packers stay in this game. And that, I mean, the, the fact that we're even talking about that, and we've been talking about that on a regular basis for the last six or eight weeks is an issue. Now, the one thing Mahomes didn't do yesterday was throw an interception. I think he had thrown an interception in six or seven straight games. So he did a good job of not doing that. But this Chiefs offense managed just 14 first downs with the guy who is supposed to be the, one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the NFL, and you had 14 first downs. But the story of this game, of course, happened before the game even started, and that was the fact that Aaron Rodgers was not able to play for the Green Bay Packers because he tested positive for COVID-19 this week. He is out for 10 days. The earliest that Aaron Rodgers can come back is Saturday, the day before their next game against the Seattle Seahawks. Now, 
if he can come back on that Saturday, you know he's going to play, especially after what we saw last night. Now, Jordan Love making his first NFL start looked like a guy that was making his first NFL head start. Threw for 190 yards, a touchdown, an interception, but he was – and look, I'll give Love credit for this. He only got sacked once. The Kansas City Chiefs brought the house. They blitzed him from the time he left the locker room, and somehow he only got sacked once, and he only threw one interception. So I got to give the kid credit for that. Look, this is a kid that came out of Utah State, threw, set all kinds of records in college, uh, pissed Aaron Rodgers off when the, when, the, uh, uh, when the Packers drafted him, basically saying, hey, this is your replacement. We saw yesterday that there is a long way to go for Jordan Love to be an NFL starting quarterback. And they didn't score until there were about five minutes left in the game. They finally got a, a, a solid drive uh, late uh, in the fourth quarter. They, I think they started inside their own five-yard line and ended up scoring a touchdown on a, on a TD pass to uh, Alan Lazard. But the story here is Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers has taken a lot of heat about the fact that he lied that he was vaccinated. It's not that he – look, let's be clear about this. I'm not pissed off that he's not vaccinated. I mean, should he be? Yeah, football's a team game. And there are, you have a lot of other guys that you are responsible to to you know be vaccinated. When 95 to, or 98% of the NFL is vaccinated, for a have, to have a guy who is, again, one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the NFL to, A, not get vaccinated, but B, in a press conference when you are asked if you are vaccinated and you say yes and flat-out lie... That's a problem. I don't care in the bigger picture. Is it his choice whether to get vaccinated or not? Yes. Do I believe people should get vaccinated? Yes. Do I believe it is a, a, a public responsibility of every citizen to get vaccinated? Yes. Do I think that there are people that because they're, uh, you know, have some other underlying conditions or maybe are allergic to something in the vaccine that they shouldn't? Yes, of course. I mean, there's always going to be exceptions. And Aaron Rodgers will, you know, now is trying to do some damage control and saying, well, I'm allergic to a couple of uh, or to one of the things that's in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and I was afraid of side effects from the Johnson & Johnson, so I didn't get vaccinated. When you stand up at a press conference and you tell the world that you're vaccinated, that's a problem. Why? It's not just a vaccine issue. It's not even just a lying issue. If you are not vaccinated, the NFL has specific protocols that unvaccinated people have to follow that are more stringent than people who are vaccinated have to follow. So what that's telling me is that Aaron Rodgers lied. He said he was he was vaccinated. So then he could skip all the the strict protocols that the NFL has for unvaccinated individuals. So now all of a sudden he can be in all these meetings. He can be in close proximity to all these other people that are vaccinated who are assuming that he's vaccinated. And he wasn't. Now, would he got, could he have tested positive for COVID-19? 
even if he was vaccinated. Yes, of course. We've seen that happen time after time after time. But what we have found is, is if you are vaccinated, the symptoms and everything else are less. But the issue here is, could he have? Yes, he could have. However, if he had been honest and said, I'm not vaccinated, and had followed the strict NFL protocols for unvaccinated individuals, perhaps he wouldn't have tested positive. Why? Because he wouldn't have been exposed to as many people as he was because he lied and said he was vaccinated. I am all for personal choice. That's what this country is about. Freedom of expression, freedom of religion, you know, freedom of choice. So I don't, I'm not killing him because he isn't vaccinated. Let's, I, again, I, I just, I don't mean to keep repeating myself, but just be, you know, when, when Terry Bradshaw goes on national television, it's not like Terry Bradshaw is, he is about as far from, uh, you know, an authority on anything other than maybe football that you can get. And he's about as wacky as you can get. However, when Terry Bradshaw goes on the air and says, this is about the fact that you lied, he is 100% correct. And by the way, how about Aaron Rodgers? When he, when, when he, was, uh, when he first started talking about the fact that he wasn't vaccinated and, you know, after it came out, and then he tried to evoke the name of Martin Luther King Jr., as part of the reason that he wasn't vaccinated. What the hell are you thinking? To the point where Michael Strahan, <laughs> Michael Strahan says, you know, there are plenty of times where it's a good idea to quote Martin Luther King Jr. or to, you know, to use him as an example uh, for something. This is not it. This was not the time to bring up Martin Luther King Jr. when we're talking about these vaccinations and it turns out that you lied. It just, I mean, good God almighty. So, and, and look, all the anti-vax people are going to be all over this. going to be like, hey, you know, good for him. You know, he's just like the rest of us. But this isn't about the vaccine itself. This is about integrity, right? This, why should we believe anything Aaron Rodgers ever says about anything again? Because he has shown that he has zero integrity. Zero. And this is a guy, by the way, remember... Remember when uh, he was guest hosting Jeopardy? And everybody thought, oh, man, this would be great. What a great guy to have hosting Jeopardy. No, he shouldn't host anything. He shouldn't host a tiddlywinks championship after this because he has zero integrity. 
And, and whether I'm disappointed in Aaron Rodgers or not, it's not like I'm some huge Aaron Rodgers rah-rah fan. This is just about a guy who is one of the faces of the NFL. He already went through this whole convoluted crap about whether he was even going to come back to the Packers. And then you do this. Not a good look for the NFL. Not a good look for the Packers. And not for nothing. I hope the NFL does something. Whether it's finding him or whatever it is, there needs to be consequences for his actions. But he has zero integrity. It's 30 minutes past the hour. We've got to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. Um, it was a day of shockers yesterday. Um, we saw the uh, the Bills losing to the Jags. That was, that was obviously shocking. But uh, perhaps even more shocking was that the Dallas Cowboys lost to the Denver Broncos yesterday. And it wasn't necessarily even that they lost. It was the way that they lost. The Dallas Cowboys got behind in this game, ladies and gentlemen, 30 to nothing. It was 16 nothing at the half. By the midway point of the fourth quarter, it was 30 to nothing. Uh, Dak Prescott, who didn't play last week because of a, a calf issue, uh, was not very sharp yesterday. A couple of touchdowns and interception, but only 19 of 39. They had to I mean, look. Zeke Elliott averaged over five yards a carry. The problem is, is when you're down, you can't go to him anymore. You know, so he was a non-factor in this game. Ran ten times for fifty-one yards, but they had to throw the football because uh, they got behind. I mean, it was brutal, and it was one of those games. If you're the Cowboys, when you know you have you ever have one of those days where like nothing goes right, this was one of them. It was so bad that they blocked a punt. They blocked a Denver Broncos punt and still didn't get to keep the football. Why? Because they touched the loose ball beyond the line of scrimmage. Denver ends up recovering the football. And they got to start the drive over because the ball, after it had been blocked, actually crossed where the first down would have been. And they got the ball back. And they end up driving down and kicking a field goal to make it 19 to nothing. You block a punt and it's still you still end up getting shot in the foot. So uh, a brutal game. And a wake-up call, if there ever was one, for the Dallas Cowboys. Look, the Dallas Cowboys uh, came into that game 6-1. and one. They're at home, and they're down 30 to nothing. Now, they scored a couple of consolation touchdowns in the fourth on a couple of uh, uh, passes to Mike Turner. But, you know, 
And it's not like Dallas is going to miss the playoffs. They're going to win the NFC East. They're six and two. The Philadelphia Eagles are in second place at three and six. So you know Dallas isn't in any danger of not making the playoffs. But good lord, if there that's a wake up call. I mean, the only I guess consolation for them is the fact that the Packers lost, uh, the Rams lost. So right now the Arizona Cardinals sit in the driver's seat. And the Cowboys have Atlanta coming up this week. Now, Atlanta just beat the New Orleans Saints. They're going to have a lot of confidence. I, and, and, again, I keep coming back to the fact that it's not the same Saints team without Jameis Winston. But the Saints are going to have to figure it out. You know, And the question is going to be whether that loss of Jameis Winston is going to shoot the, uh, the New Orleans Saints in the foot when it comes to uh, making the playoffs. And Denver gets to play Philadelphia at home next week. And Philly gave the Chargers a hell of a game this week. The Chargers won it at the end, 27-24. But this is the, it'll be the third straight game for the Denver Broncos against the NFC East, and we all know how bad the NFC East is. And they already beat Washington, they've beaten Dallas, and now they can beat Philly next week. And uh, the Broncos have put themselves back in the mix. They're at 5-4, and four, a half a game behind the Chargers and the Raiders in the AFC West. But that was an absolute stunner yesterday. Did not see that one coming. Uh, and even if they had, you know, you could have said, well, even if you thought that Denver was going to win the game, there's no way you thought it was going to be like that. So, you know, that was a, a stunning game. I guess you could say Atlanta beating New Orleans was stunning, but, but again, without Jameis Winston, I'm not sure – that's the case. Uh, you know, so there were a lot of games where you kind of went, huh. And the game last night, the Rams-Tennessee game. Tennessee Titans are for real, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, they played pretty good defense yesterday. They uh, A couple of interceptions against Matthew Stafford. They sacked him five times. Ryan Tannehill continues to do a great job of not losing games. And I know that sounds weird, but Ryan Tannehill's not a guy that you're going to hand the football to and say, go win us this game. All you say to Ryan Tannehill is manage the game. It's going to be a little bit more of a challenge for this team, this Tennessee team, without Derrick Henry. There's no question about that. And the, the question is, is whether or not he's going to be able to come back at all this year. I wouldn't count on it. It was so bad they had to sign Adrian Peterson, who's like a million years old, who ended up scoring a touchdown last night on a one-yard run. Uh, but this was a game that Tennessee pretty much dominated. They were up 21-3 to at halftime. 21-3! to against a Rams team. Matthew Stafford, who everybody was, you know, uh, thought that might be... Uh, in the running for MVP, 21-3 to at the half. So an incredible defensive effort yesterday by the Tennessee Titans, which, which also included a pick six, by the way. So, you know, for people that were, uh, you know, people in uh, Vegas or in, in where, anywhere they have sports gambling probably lost their shirts this week. Uh, because there were a lot of strange, strange games. And nobody, I, myself included, I thought Cleveland would beat Cincinnati. 
I you know I thought that Cincinnati big win they had the other day was kind of an outlier a couple of weeks ago, uh, but I did not think forty-one to sixteen. You know, and Baker Mayfield wasn't great, but again, the Cleveland Browns can run the football, and Nick Chubb ran the crap out of it. Fourteen carries, a hundred and thirty-seven yards, a couple of touchdowns, and the defense did a pretty good job against Joe Burrow. Sacked him five times, picked him off twice. So now this Cleveland Browns team is saying, any of you that thought we were done, think again. So that's where we are as far as the NFL goes. Of course, uh, one more game left on the schedule, uh, and that's tonight. And ugh, I'm sorry, folks. I can't, I can't get excited about this one. The Chicago Bears at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, now, having said that, it's a game that is important to both teams. The Steelers right now sit at 4-3. and three. Uh, If they can win the game tonight, they stay a game behind Baltimore. If you're the Chicago Bears, if you have any hopes of making any kind of a run into the playoffs, this is a must-win. A loss tonight for the Bears, and their season is as good as over. They sit at 3-5. and five. They're not winning a division, so the only shot they've got is a wild card, and in order to do that, this team is going to have to go on a, a, a run at the end of the season uh, where they're going to have to probably win seven of the last nine to even have a chance. And I don't think that's realistic. So uh, I'll be watching it because i got to talk about it, but it's going to be an ugly game. Uh, one more thing before uh, we take a break. Uh, we're going to finish it up talking about uh, baseball, lots of baseball news yesterday in the offseason. Uh, NASCAR with their crown, their champion yesterday, and it was Kyle Larson. And I have to tell you that there's a lot of people now that, that hate Kyle Larson, you know, because of the incident during the pandemic, when they were doing that, uh, uh, video game series where the NASCAR drivers were, uh, playing a video game and racing against each other. And he dropped the N word on live television. He got fired. Uh, by his race team. He got suspended by NASCAR. He was required to go through all kinds of sensitivity training. Um, and I'm going to tell you, if there was ever a guy, to me, that deserves the benefit of the doubt now and deserves a second chance, um, it's Kyle Larson. Why? Because Kyle Larson, you know how like a lot of times guys get in trouble and, and they'll they'll make up all kinds of excuses. And they'll say, well, I'm going to try to be better, and I'm going to, you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm sorry, and I didn't mean to offend anybody, you know. And, and they kind of just, you know, pay, I don't want to say pay lip service, but you wonder how truly uh, sorry they are for whatever it is that happened. Kyle Larson, after he got fired and suspended, did some amazing things. Um, I mean, and, you know, he made, he, you know, some of the first things he did was he called Bubba Wallace, the only, you know, full-time black driver in NASCAR. Uh, he spent time going around the country and meeting with black race car drivers who looked up to him and, you know, had to, and answered questions about, you know, dude, you know, wh what are you doing? And he also put his money where his mouth was and he, uh, you know, started uh, supporting minority drivers and minority causes 
And this is a guy that you would think, and this is why I want to give him the second chance. This is a guy who is from a racially diverse family. His mother's Japanese. Right? So this is a guy that, when he was younger, had to deal with some of that stuff. Had to deal with racial slurs. You know, and this is a guy that 18 months ago wasn't sure he'd ever have an opportunity to race again. You know, and I, I am, again, I admire the way he handled the situation, how he did, didn't just say the right things, because anybody can say the right things even if they don't mean them. He did the right things. So, uh, and he ended up winning 10 races this year. 10. Nobody had done that since Jimmy Johnson uh, all the way back. Ooh, what was that? When he won, was it back in like 2017, something like that, when Jimmy Johnson was just winning everything? He won five of the 10 playoff races. So, you know, look, this is a guy to me that said something in the heat of the moment, you know, playing a game and just it came out. It was probably something that, you know, he didn't even think about. Then he was forced to think about it. And he did the right thing. Did the right thing, not said. So congratulations to Kyle Larson. It's a guy to me. Look, I want to root for this guy. And I, and I hope that all the stuff I've just said is really true. I hope that he really did. And, and all his actions say that he did. And his emotions yesterday. You don't usually see guys, NASCAR drivers, crying. He was crying when he was still in his car. He was crying when he got out of his car. And he was crying while he was doing interviews on television. And he was crying at the press conference. This is a guy that recognizes how fortunate he is, how wrong he was, and knows that uh, he is a lucky man to have been given another chance. And he took full advantage of it. So good for him. And... Uh, uh, I'm happy for Kyle Larson winning the NASCAR championship yesterday. 45 minutes past the hour. We've got to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 47 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning, the eighth day of November, and we're still talking baseball. I love it. Um, yesterday was the deadline for qualifying offers to be uh, extended to current players who uh, are entering their free agent season. Uh, 14 players were offered qualifying offers yesterday. That is the highest, by the way, since the 2015-16 season when 20 players got them. Um, and the Red Sox were one of the teams that uh, extended a qualifying offer yesterday. They did so to Erod, Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, so if he takes that, it's $18.4 million for the upcoming season. It would be a one-year contract for 2022. If the players turn down the qualifying offer, excuse me, it means that their team gets draft pick compensation. The, their team would get the, neck, the highest unprotected draft pick uh, that uh, the team that signs the free agent away would get. 
Now, a lot of people think that the Red Sox probably, by extending the qualifying offer to Erod, they now have, I want to say it's like a week to make up their minds as to whether or not, uh, or I think it's 10 days to decide whether or not they want to accept the qualifying offer. Um, so, actually, the, yeah, the deadline is the 17th, so they have like uh, 10 days. It is 10 days. Um, other players that got it yesterday, Rysel Iglesias, the relief pitcher from the Angels, Carlos Correa and Justin Verlander for the Astros, uh, Robbie Ray, Marcus Semyon from the Blue Jays, Freddie Freeman, of course, from the Braves, Corey Seager and Chris Taylor from the Dodgers. The interesting thing here is the Dodgers did not extend a qualifying offer to Clayton Kershaw. Now, uh, I that's I think that's mostly because Clayton Kershaw has been injured so much in the last couple of years that this is a guy that you're not confident is going to be able to be out on the mound enough to warrant $18.4 million. Now, the, what this also does now, no, in, in the next 10 days, while the players are trying to determine what they're going to do, do not be surprised, for instance, if the Red Sox go to Erod and say, look, we extended this because we wanted some more time to make a decision. We want to sign you to a long-term deal, and here we go. And whether or not, I mean, my guess is Erod, if he goes on the open market, will get more than $18.4 million a year. You can look at his numbers for this year and say, the, how the hell does he warrant that? But at the same time, he showed signs, you know, and don't forget, this was a guy who had an entire year off because of the pandemic, right? So, you know, if you look at it from that standpoint, anything that he did this year, you know, I don't want to say it's a bonus, but it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to say that the Erod that we saw this year is what the Erod going forward is going to be, or is it going to be more like the guy prior to the pandemic who was dominant? I think the Red Sox are thinking it's more along those lines, and they're going to try to work out some kind of a long term deal. You know, of course, part of this is also going to be. Don't forget, we have Heim Bloom in charge now. Uh, he did not when he was in Tampa. That Tampa was an organization that didn't, didn't tend to give out really long-term contracts. So, you know, they might come up with the right amount of money per year, but if Erod's looking for five or six years, he may not get that from Heim Bloom. That's going to be an interesting thing to see. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, Michael Conforto also got qualifying offers from the Mets. Uh, Nick Castellanos from the Reds. Uh, Trevor Story from the Rockies. And and look, a, a lot of these teams know that these guys are not going to take these offers because they know on the open market, Corey Seager is going to get more than 18.4 on the, on the open market. There's no question. Marcus Semyon from the Blue Jays, same deal. Carlos Correa from the Astros. Now, supposedly the Astros have already offered a long-term deal to Carlos Correa that would be more in, in average annual value than what they offered to Jose Altuve. So the ball is in Carlos Correa's court. They've already supposedly made an offer to him. So we'll see how that goes. Um, guys that, but but a guy like Clayton Kershaw, what does he do now? This is a guy who has been a Los Angeles Dodger for his entire career. Where does he go? 
or does he try to sign, you know, are the Dodgers going to try to sign him to something that is maybe an incentivating contract based on, you know, innings pitch, that kind of thing? Or does he say, you know what, it's time. And he's a guy that's from Texas. Would the Texas Rangers be interested in bringing him there? What about the Houston Astros? Maybe the Houston Astros would be interested in bringing him there. You know, if he wants to go back closer to home. We'll see. Uh, other Red Sox news yesterday, they picked up the club option on Christian Vasquez. Uh, there is the, uh, uh, <laughs> that was the no-brainer of the year. Uh, not that I think Christian Vasquez is the greatest catcher in the history of catchers. Uh, I, I think Christian Vasquez is wildly overrated as a catcher, but that's just me. Although although catchers these days, there they're are a dearth of uh, uh, really good catchers in the major leagues. I don't think he's as great as everybody seems to think he is, but that's just me. Um, they also declined team options on Martin Perez and Garrett Richards. Thank the Lord God. Uh, and J.D. Martinez is coming back to Boston. He decided not to opt out of the final year of his contract. So J.D. is going to make $19.8 million for the Red Sox next year. Now, check that, $19.4 million. Um, but the immediate speculation with this is, because the Red Sox have already said they're still in touch with Kyle Schwarber, who declined uh, a mutual option, or a, a, a player option with the Red Sox. Uh, but there is, there, there is supposed interest in him coming back to Boston that he wants to. And the Red Sox have said that they have already, you know, been talking to him. So the question becomes this. Who do the Red Sox want more? Do you want another year of J.D. Martinez? Or do you try to, to sign Kyle Schwarber to fill that D.H. role going forward knowing that you also you know because you have if, if you don't if JD's not there you have Kyle Schwarber as your DH then you don't have to worry about moving Bobby Dalbeck over, over first off of first base if Tristan Cassis is truly ready to come up as they're saying is, is likely to be the case uh, in the latter part of 2022 you don't have that log jam at first base if you still want Kyle Schwarber so the, the speculation immediately started is, would the Red Sox now trade J.D. Martinez? The question is, $19.4 million is a lot of money. What are you going to be able to get for $19.4 million? What team is going to be willing? And look, J.D. Martinez is a very productive player and could help a lot of teams, but $19.4 million is a big nut. How many teams would be willing to take that on and not only just take on the salary, but then be willing to give the Red Sox something of value in return? My answer is not many. So I think we need to wrap our heads around the fact that J.D. Martinez will be in a Red Sox uniform next year, which I have no problem with. I love J.D. But I think we also have to wrap our heads around the fact that Kyle Schwarber is going to play elsewhere. And I'm okay with that, too. We don't need him in the outfield. We don't need him at first base. Look, he was a very productive player down the stretch, and I like the guy. But I think that he plays a position, whether it's you know mediocre left field, 
below mediocre first base or designated hitter that the Red Sox don't have needs for right now. If we have, get the Bobby Dahlbeck that we got at the in the in the second half of the season, we don't need Kyle Schwarber. We just don't. And I just don't think the Red Sox would get any value back for JD Martinez. Perhaps I'm wrong, but I think JD is there and Kyle Schwarber is elsewhere next year. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Lone Star, my front porch looking in. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.